0: Welcome to the SMA News Today podcast. I'm your host Kevin Schaefer. I have SMA Type 2, and I am a columnist and forum director for smanewstoday.com. Welcome to the SMA News Today podcast. I'm your host Kevin Schaefer, and today we are doing an episode in recognition of Black History Month. I have with me several guests who have been on the podcast before to talk about their experiences as black disabled individuals. And so um, we'll also have probably one more guest um, later on in the episode. But um, but for now, we have with us returning to the show. uh, First off, LaMondre Pugh uh, from South Carolina. LaMondre is the CEO and co-founder of Billion Strong a nonprofit, which you can hear him talk about more in his individual episode and we will talk about today as well. Um, but Lamandre, great to have you back today. Yeah, it's great to be back, Kevin. Thank you. And uh, thank you for doing this. Absolutely. No, really excited. And then also returning, we have Gabrielle Runyon from Kentucky. She is a junior at the University of Louisville studying psychology. And then a, you said a double minor in Spanish and music, correct? Yes. Awesome. Well, Gabrielle, thanks so much for coming back today.
1: Thank well. you
2: for having me, Thank you for doing this.
0: Absolutely. And I will, in the description, link uh, the episodes to uh, the ones both of you have been on before um, and also the 31 Days of SMA stories you've contributed. So, um, But yeah, so really excited for this conversation. And before we get started, if everyone could please listen to a brief word from our sponsor.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Genentech, the makers of a treatment for SMA. Whether you're living with SMA or are the parent to a child with SMA, make a choice today that could impact your future. Visit TreatMySMA.com to see why treatment matters.
0: Okay, so Lamandre, why don't you start off just um, for listeners who maybe haven't heard your story before. If you can just kind of give an overview and where you are now and what you're doing.
3: Sure. I am Lamandre Pugh. I am in the great state of South Carolina, Columbia, the capital. A lot of people think of Charleston when they think of the capital, but nope, the capital is Columbia, South Carolina, born and raised uh, right here. Um, as as you mentioned, uh, Kevin, I am the CEO and co-founder of Billion Strong, and Billion Strong is a global identity organization by and for people with disabilities. So it's great that we're a part of this conversation today because um, I think identity uh, is a huge issue that has really Uh, came to the forefront within the past, I'd say, five years really strongly. And so it's important that we have these conversations. In terms of Billion Strong and what we're doing with Billion Strong, we just got our 501c3. So we are now ramping up um, our fundraising efforts. And honestly, we have done some amazing things, even with just uh, no cash. Um, We have over 94 partner countries uh, throughout the world. Um, We've done youth programs. Um, we are working with the Discovery War, uh, Awards um, out of India. So we're doing things globally, and we've done that with no money. Um, and so um, what we're asking for, honestly, is for people to go to our website, billion-strong.org, sign up, join the movement. It's all about it's all about identity. It's all about how we show up in the world and what we believe about ourselves. And so that's what we're ramping up on now Um Right now, I am uh, working on a new podcast. It's called My Big Full Authentic Life. We'll be releasing it uh, sometime uh, in February, probably towards the end of February. But it's called My Big Full Authentic Life. And again, it's about authentic living and finding purpose through authentic living. And the reason that I'm focusing on these things is because I believe it's my personal mission in life to help people live big, full, authentic lives on purpose. In other words, being exactly who you are and showing up in the world as you are and making a difference in that way and being proud of that. Uh, so that's what I'm about, man. I tried to do that really quickly and get it out there, but uh, that's what it is. That's what's going
0: on. Man, I love it. And I said before the recording, but I'm really excited for your podcast. I just want to check, oh, oh, check that out once it launches. You said you're working on hopefully launching sometime in February? Towards the end of February, yes. Fantastic. That's awesome. And you can get and then,
3: it wherever you can get it wherever you uh, get your podcast and it will be on YouTube as well. So
0: nice. Nice, man. That's awesome. I'm really looking forward to that. And thank you so much, man. So um, and then Gabrielle, same for you. If you want to just give listeners kind of an overview of your story and any updates since last time you were on the podcast.
2: OK. Um, hi, I'm Gabrielle Runyon. I'm a 20 year old junior psychology student with a double minor in Spanish and music. I'm in my Second semester of junior year, um, I'm working on applying to an internship and, like, applying to grad schools for my senior year. Um, I'm working on an internship called the Fair and Back Internship Program, which is specifically for students with disabilities, and you, they give you housing in the summer. It's a summer internship in Indianapolis, and they give you housing, and they place you with some place that's in your field of study. So I would be studying something that's in psychology. So it's really cool to um, learn about. I never even knew about this. Um, My disability resource center at my school reached out to me and um, they sent it all to the students with disabilities. So they said we could apply and everything. So I'm really excited about that. And writing cover letters and writing my resume, hoping I get it. And then I'm focusing on grad school next, um, focusing on my next steps after I graduate because um, my senior year is coming up fast. And that's pretty much it with me.
0: That's fantastic. Yes. Oh, I remember the days of uh, applying and um, going through all that process, but I know you'll do well, but that's really exciting. And yeah, so that's awesome. Thank you. Very cool. Well, um, and so to get started, I know Lamanja, you kind of got a good segue there talking about identity. And that's kind of what I really want to focus on today uh, with y'all. And so I have my first question. And this is something we've talked about, well, with each of you on the podcast before, but when you were growing up, did, did you identify with the term disabled? Or what was kind of your overall mindset and attitude toward disability? Um, so I don't know if Lamonte, if you want to start with that, and then oh, we we'll go to Gabrielle.
3: Sure. Um, yeah. Growing up, I I always knew that I was a person with a disability, and I didn't have a problem with it. I didn't uh, in terms of in terms of understanding what that meant for me. I did not see it as a limitation. Neither did I see it uh, as as anything positive. It was simply a point of diversity, and it could have been because of my background. Um, you know, the, the the school that I went to was a school called Brockman that you uh, mentioned before, uh, Kevin, where I was one of many students with disabilities. So disability was not something that was foreign or strange to me in terms of once I started uh, going to school. Now, of course, I still face the same uh, challenges and discrimination uh, that, you know, all of us with disabilities face in society but I never saw it as a personal deficit uh, of my own. Um, in fact, I looked at it as something that I didn't ask for, but I certainly do own it. And not only do I own it, it is just like I own my beard. It is just a part of who I am. Um, and so that's, that's how I saw it. And, and I think a lot of that came from, came from that and also uh, because of my family, how my family approached uh, me being a person with a disability. Um, it was simply a part of, of who I, of who I was and who I am. And so, um, you know, figure out how I'm going to traverse this life and be productive with it. And so that was, that was always my approach to disability. And it's still very much that
0: same thing today. That's awesome. And then Gabrielle, what about you too? I know, um, there's something we talked about as well, but what was kind of your, mindset and attitude um, growing up toward disability?
2: Um, I think my mindset has definitely changed. Um, When I was young, I wasn't really around other people with disabilities. When I was, I was placed in the ECE room and like, there was negative connotations about that. So I kind of like wanted to distance myself from being disabled because like, I was cut off from the able bodied kids and it it was a negative connotation about being in the ECE room just in like every aspect of life in the media and like just in society is the negative connotation about that so it took me a while to like view my disability as a positive experience and like like LaMondre said to own it and like just accept it as a part of me and something that is beneficial to me like I've experience things that I never would have experienced because of my disability and I didn't see that as positive when I was a kid. I kind of I tried to distance myself from like other disabled kids because like of that negative connotation I talked about and it wasn't until about high school or maybe mid like I feel like I'm still trying to work on my feelings towards my disabled body and towards my identity as a disabled person. But I feel like I'm working towards viewing it in a positive light. But my family has helped a lot and my friends have helped a lot as well.
3: Yeah, question for you, you you, you use the acronym, you said EEC or what was it? ECE,
2: that? it's the, E-C-E. Um, I'm not sure what the acronym stands for, but it's like, it's, it's Exceptional Child Enrichment, I think so it's like
3: like the self-contained classes that kind of yeah
2: yeah that's what they um placed me in when i was a younger kid and um they they kind of like they don't see you as a person they just like place you in there just because you're disabled so like there was a time there's a school here called churchill and so that's where they send like all the disabled kids like no matter what like and they and I remember my mom, my mom was telling me this just like recently, and there was a therapist, and she called, and she was like, "I'm not supposed to be telling you this. This is illegal, but Gabrielle's too bright for that room. Like she needs to be in the advanced program. Like they just placed me in there because they saw my wheelchair and didn't think that I yeah. could like make it in other classrooms. So I think that kind of like shaped my view as a person early on.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I interestingly enough. So I was mainstreamed. So when I said I went to a school called Brockman, uh, mm-hmm. that's precisely what it was. You went there if you were a student with a disability. Now, when I was about um, 12 years old, I I, I did some flim flam and stuff and made it so that they would get me out of there. I told my mother that my teacher wanted to talk to her about mainstreaming me. And I told my teacher my mom wanted to talk to her about mainstreaming me. And so I I, I got up out of there. Right. And, uh, honestly, when I made that transition, the exact thing that you're talking about,
2: mm-hmm. I had
3: to fight uh, as well. Me and my mom had to fight that as well, where they mm-hmm. want to stick you in certain places just mm-hmm. because you were a student with a disability, regardless of your academic ability, regardless as to what your desires were. They simply want to stick you in in, in these particular classes, and, and uh, that's where... Um, I really cut my teeth in advocacy was fighting uh, for the opportunity to just say that, Hey, educate me. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I fully understand that experience and the connotations associated with it.
2: So I have a question. How did you like adjust to being mainstream? Like, was it a hard adjustment from being in Brockman and then being mainstream?
3: It was definitely different it was definitely different. I'm going to tell you why it was so different because at Brockman, I was, everybody had a disability. We're all different disabilities. But when I transferred uh, to the middle school that I went to, and I went to W.G. Sanders Middle School, Mm -hmm. I was the only child with an obvious disability. Mm -hmm. Of course, there were other children with disabilities there. Uh, Mm -hmm. However, I was the only one in a wheelchair uh, that, you know, was, was there. And it was, it was definitely an adjustment. I don't know if it was any more difficult than a new student going to a new school, uh, where, where, you know, where they're not from there, but, but what I do know is that I struggled to find how I could fit in. I struggled to find like my people, my connection, my tribe. Um, but when I did, when I did, it was acceptance with open arms. And Mm. the, this was the thing that really set it apart. When I first went there, my my nickname is Bubba, so what I'm about to say is, you know, mm-hmm. Bubba. When I first went there, I was Bubba the boy in the wheelchair. That's until I went to chorus, and mm-hmm. I could play. I could play piano uh, mm-hmm. at that time, and uh, the chorus teacher asked, did anybody know where middle C was? I raised my hand. I knew where middle C was, and so she said, go to the piano. And so long story short, I went there, and I helped everybody find their voice parts, Uh, And then she finally got to me. She said, what's yours? And so she made me run the scales. And when they heard me, the girls perked up. The boys (laughs) kind of started looking. So they said, oh. And I went from Bubba the Boy in the wheelchair to Bubba the Boy Who Could Sing. And that kind of gave me a lane. That gave me something um, that I could hold. That's why I often say the arts gave me my voice. Because Mm -hmm. the arts gave me that opening into that confidence, into that. um, Into that it was something more. It was something different about me that didn't have anything to do with my disability, but it's something that they perceived as valuable that I could present. Um, and so, once that transition happened, it really opened doors for me, and and that's kind of what helped me uh, make that transition.
0: Yeah, every yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. That one, so for me, so it's interesting because uh, so I was always mainstreamed, but that was a lot of advocacy that got me there because. Like, Gabrielle, like you, uh, it was back in preschool, they were trying to administration was trying to put me in the special education classroom, which again, I want to put this as a person is like no diss to any students in there. But like you were saying is that uh, it was and this is still, I think, a problem today. I think it's, we've come a long way. But a lot of school administrations just want to loop everyone with disabilities in the same group. And, you know, SMA does not affect us cognitively. And so... Um, while we need accommodations um to succeed um in the classroom on a physical level, you know, we're perfectly capable of participating um in the same um environment as our able body peers. And so, um I, they initially wanted to put me in that um program early on. My mom was, you know, and she's taught me much about self advocacy over the years. And so she was the one who fought to, Keep me out of that and be mainstreamed, and from that point on, I was. Um, and I, she didn't tell me till years later, but there was like a, um, was it kindergarten or first grade teacher um, who would not have me just because I had a disability, and like, um, I mean, thankfully there were other teachers, but, um, but that was, you know, something she had to deal with early on. Um, so I think, yeah, I could definitely relate to those. And Lamontre, I relate a lot to the arts aspect um, for you because, um, I mean. Growing up, it like especially in elementary school, didn't really like the whole notion of disability. Didn't really register in my mind that much because while I was like the only wheelchair user, like kids around me, it was just normal for them. You know, I grew up with them. Um, once I transitioned to middle school and some new environment and all that, I was already I already had an interest in theater at that point, and that definitely gave me an outlet and mm-hmm. um, helped me really form my identity. Um, and so yeah, that was absolutely a powerful tool for you know, finding my voice, my rhythm, all of that.
3: Yeah,
0: but I can
2: yeah. relate to that, too. That's when um, uh, mm-hmm. in middle school is when I joined the choir, too. And I've been in choir since then, like, all throughout school. So that really, that does help. I feel like that does help find your voice. And like, that's the only time I feel like I can express myself outside of my disability. It's like, that helped me find myself and find my voice as a person. So I relate to that Lamandre.
3: Yeah, you know, and, and 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 I'll tell you, you're you're in college now, but it will also translate into other areas of your life, because I, you know, again, when I say the arts helped me to find my voice, more over than just being some musical virtuoso, which I was not. I mean, you know, I, I could sing a little bit, I could peck on the keys uh, a, a little bit, but I, I was not, you know, Juanita Morris of Boys to Men. That that that's that that that's not my testimony so to speak, but what it did was, it did indeed open the door to where I had the confidence of where I could contribute something that mattered to people. And so whether that was through the spoken word, whether that was through academics, whether that was through whatever it was, community organizing, it was that same confidence, it was that same, I can do it, I can contribute, um, that came from the arts. And this is why I believe it's so important that no matter who you are, no matter what walk of life you, you you have, that you expose, that you're exposed to things that challenge you, that you're exposed to things that really excite you from your core so that you can show up in the world in a different way, in a way that's genuine and unique to you regardless. Regardless, so I encourage particularly parents of children with disabilities a lot of times they're very sheltering and they want to cover and protect you. But the truth is you need that exposure so you can find out who you are for yourself as opposed to the world telling you that this is who you are and what you are. I thought it was so interesting when, when I say the girls perked up. So what happened after they all perked up in the classroom is that at recess, a group of girls circled me, right? And it was like, we heard you could sing. So sing. And so I started now, I'm, I'm a little older than I think both of you all, I started singing this song by Bobby Brown called I Need a Girlfriend, right? And I'm singing my heart out. Then I noticed all the little boys started gathering around because all the little girls were gathered around. And they started swooning. And, they, you know, it's like, yo, I, I, I feel my sexy coming on, you know? And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you. So what that did for me, it gave me a different perspective of who I could be and how I fit in that society. And I'm telling you, Gabrielle, for you, you will see that, especially once you start getting outside of the world of academia and you really start getting into the world, that same confidence you got when you opened up your mouth to sing the choir. It's going to help you in life.
0: Preach. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> I love lot But yeah, no, I that's great. And that's just so applicable to any stage in life for sure. But absolutely. Well, um, thank you both so much. This has been great so far. And before we continue, if everyone could please listen to one more brief word from our sponsor. And we'll be right back.
1: This podcast is made possible by Genentech, the makers of a treatment for SMA. If you are living with SMA, the subtle changes that happen from one day to the next can be hard to notice until a key function is lost. Many people find that these changes can impact their life, not just physically, but also emotionally. Since the progression of SMA is relentless, taking action now is important. If you've waited to go on treatment or were told there were no treatments for you, now might be the time to talk to your doctor. Breakthroughs in science have led to more options than ever before in treatment and care. Choosing a disease-modifying treatment can make a difference. Why wait? Visit TreatMySMA.com to see why treatment matters.
0: Okay, so um, Amandre, Gabrielle, you both said some excellent things about um, identifying as disabled and that journey. Now on a transition to it, if you can just each talk about your experiences as a Black individual with a disability and the intersectionality of those identities, um, you know, just your experiences. I just really, just anything you want to say uh, on that realm. So Amandre, if you want to start.
3: Yeah. Well, I think first of all we need to get a, a clear understanding of what intersectionality is. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Because a lot of times what
3: happens is is that we'll hear these words and we'll kind of think we have an idea of of what it is, but so- sometimes we kind of um, we're not really sure uh, where it's from. So for those of you who are not sure, intersectionality really is a way of identifying that a person may belong. Um, to certain minority groups or marginalized groups, and how more than one marginalized group. And intersectionality is really about how those, that person belonging to those different groups, how those marginalizations come together to impact their life. For example, it's not just that I'm a person with a disability, but it's that I'm a black person with a disability. Now the intersectional part is not the fact that I belong to those two groups, But the intersectional part is the measurement of how those two things coming together further discriminate against me. For example, there was an organization that um, had gotten sued uh, for discrimination. It was discrimination uh, against African-American women because there was no leadership there. There was no promotions that was happening there. Well, the argument that the company made was, well, we promote women all the time, so it can't be that. And we promote black people all the time, so it can't be that. Well, the issue is they only promoted black men and they only promoted white women. So therefore, the intersectionality, the discrimination that came against them was the fact that they were black women who were being discriminated against. And so that's the the, the distinction uh, there. So it's really a way to measure what kind of oppression and what kind of systems or how systems oppress people who belong to more than one marginalized group? I hope that made sense. And I yes. hope that was uh, I hope that was uh, oh that was clear. I
2: think that was a perfect way to explain it
3: well, thank you. And so in terms of and uh, in, in terms of how I see it, I'll tell you the, the the way that it's it's impacted me, I think that a lot of times people think that, once you identify as a person with a disability, the only issues that you deal with are issues related to disability.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: That many times the the issues that affect the other groups that you belong to, um, that, that no longer is an issue for you, but that's not true at all. Uh, in fact, if you want to look at, if you look at the statistics, you will realize that most people with disabilities in this country live below the poverty level, okay? We can, we can agree uh, with uh-huh. that. But I think that if you looked further, you would also realize that the majority of those people are people who belong to traditionally marginalized groups as well. So it's different. It's different from, uh, Kevin's experience would be very different. I'm talking in generalities here, please. I'm not sure. talking no, about sorry. specifically, yeah. okay? I'm not saying this, but uh, uh, but Kevin's experience would be very different from my experience, okay? Simply because he's a white man with a disability living in a society that typically has a little bit more privilege or more privilege for white people than they do black people. Now hear this also though, but Gabrielle's experience would be completely different from my experience, even though I believe you're an African-American, I believe you're black, but Even though we're both black and we're both black people with disabilities, but because she's a woman, I recognize as a man that there are certain privileges that I have in my maleness that she doesn't have because of that. So our experiences could be different. And I think what happens is a lot of times within our own groups, people don't realize the experience that we have because disability has been introduced. Uh, into the equation. but but, but, I will tell you, it definitely does affect me and and I do see it. I do feel it. Um, you know, so I think that it's it's more of the perspective uh, that that I see uh,
0: that's that's different and that's represented in that. That's really beautifully put. Lamonttra, thank you so much. and and Gabrielle, so the same question for you. And, yeah, absolutely, like Lalantra said, speaking to your experiences as a black disabled woman, can you talk about that perspective? Just any, you know, I don't even know how to phrase the question, but you, you know what I mean? Just if you can share your experiences um, and how you approach those different identities of yourself and the intersectionality.
2: Um, The intersectionality is very different, belonging to like three different groups, because it's it feels that in every group, like one identity of myself is not. Acknowledge like in the black community, there's like a heavy stigma around um, disability, like it's made fun of and everything. And then in the disabled community, it's predominantly white disabled people in that community. So, like in every aspect of the communities that I'm in, it feels that one aspect of my personality or my identity is not acknowledged. So, it's like very different, like having to show up and like say, hey, like, we need to acknowledge this part, like, the intersectionality. And that's, like, very hard, especially in, like, spaces where there's not a lot of Black disabled women that are, like, like like-minded like me, which, thankfully, I found some that are like-minded and that are advocates as well like me. But it's very different being in those communities and, like, having to speak up and advocate for a different part of my identity that they don't normally acknowledge. Yeah.
0: And I, Gabrielle, follow up question to that, because I think one, and this is what I'll talk about in a minute, but like one of the things that separates kind of like our younger generations is social media is a big tool for connecting those people. Like in, in my case, connecting with other people with SMA and other disabilities and Gabby, you mentioned um being you have connected with other advocates who are also black disabled women. So how have you used that as a tool for both advocacy and connections? and um if you want to talk about any of the people that that's led you to?
2: Um, social media has been a big part in my advocacy. I downloaded Instagram about like two years ago right before the pandemic, like literally mm-hmm. three months before the pandemic. I downloaded it. And then, like, all the stuff that happened in 2020, like, I just started posting. And, like, that's when I really found my voice for advocacy. I was advocating before um, with the Muscular Dystrophy Association. Mm -hmm. I was the state ambassador for them um, when I was a kid. And, like, I went to the Capitol and spoke to my senators and representatives about passing bills for um, people with disabilities. But social media, like gave me access to other people in the world and just in my, in the Black disabled community that I didn't have access to before. Um One person I've met, her name is Neela Morton and I absolutely love her. She's my sister. Um, she has definitely helped me with my acceptance journey of my disabled body and um, just advocating for myself in spaces that don't normally have black disabled women in. So I found a great community online. I've found a way to advocate for myself online via social media. And I think it plays a huge part because I've never would have met these people without social media. And I never would have had the reach that um, I have now, which I don't think it's not that big of a reach. Like some people have 10,000 followers. I only have like, Four thousand so far, but I think that's like a good accomplishment for myself. I'm jealous. I'm proud of. I was saying,
0: you're more than me, don't I? <laughs> I'm jealous. I'm saying you're there.
2: <laughs> that I'm proud of that reach, especially since like I downloaded Instagram for what what everybody downloads it for. I just wanted to post pictures of myself. I wasn't mm-hmm. planning on being an advocate or like advocating or just like telling my life story. So that people know what it's like to be disabled and being a Black disabled woman in America, just like sharing the stuff that I go through. So I think social media is a big part of my advocacy. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. No, thank you so much. And Lamanjay, I want to, so for you, obviously you have it now, but like you grew up in an era without disability. And Adora, I'm not going to reveal your age or anything, but, uh, but, uh, oh, no, you can't. I'm proud uh, of yeah. it. I'm 49. I'm proud of it that's awesome no but like um but in that respect of growing up without that same um resource you know what i mean i obviously you went to brockman but what was kind of uh or did you have a tool or a means of meeting other people um in the black disability community or in other communities you're a part of no
3: um honestly uh <laughs> I didn't see very many black people with disabilities at all because when I was at Brockman, Brockman was predominantly um, white people, um, predominantly. No, don't get me wrong. We we were in there, you know, because we're everywhere. Uh, So we were in there, but it it was still, um, when I went home, I didn't see very many black people with disabilities at all. In fact, it wasn't until I was probably about 10 years old that I saw uh, a guy driving uh, his car, a, a black guy driving a car, and I realized, whoa, driving may be a possibility for me in terms of a person with a disability. Um, and many times, you don't know what's possible for you until you see someone like you doing it. This is why I believe representation is so important. And and the truth is, I I didn't have, I didn't have any black male role models with disabilities um, growing up. Not one. There was there was nobody that I could that I could look to. In fact, I know that this is the experience that a lot of people have had, and I think Gabrielle um, somewhat alluded to something like this earlier in her statements. I remember going to people's houses, and the people with disabilities they would lock up in a room, they would put in the back room, and they would wait uh, when, whenever company came over. They would wait. Now, understand that was not something that was just germane to the black community or the black experience. However, that's was something that would would happen. Now, mind you, I grew up uh, before the Americans with Disabilities Act. I grew mm-hmm. up before um, there was this huge civil rights law uh, that affirmed people's with people with disabilities' right to not be uh, discriminated against. But I also grew up uh, when I turned eighteen. I experienced severe culture shock in that I realized that the world that the world that I grew up in was not the real world. That my friends who accepted me, even though they picked and we did all that, but I picked at them too, you know? Um, But that the world was a a much harsher place. Um, But it also turned on in me the will to fight it and the will to advocate against it. So I opened my mouth when I was mainstreamed um, into, into regular public school, I was invited to a meeting uh, to speak about my experience with that and from that it went from one meeting to the next to the next to the next and that's really how i started my public advocating when we started looking at how we change systems as opposed to just my individual advocacy um and it just went on from there and um then out of college i joined the uh, uh, the um Disability Access Center, which was South Carolina's first center for independent living. And that's where I really sharpened my advocacy skills um, there. And social media has just opened up a whole new world of connection and allowing mm-hmm. our reach and our voices to go so much further. And honestly, that's exactly why we started Billion Strong, to make those connections um, so you don't have to fight to find them. But they are readily available and you can connect with someone in Istanbul or you can connect with someone in Africa just to find out what's happening internationally. And so it really is about it really is about learning empowerment through connection. And, and that's what this is. That's what this walk is. And that's what it's been for me, is making the connections and empowering through those connections.
0: I love that. And, and, you know, and I'll just say too, so, cause I want to talk to about the SMA community specifically. And like, you know, my experiences as a disabled white man, you know, growing up in conferences, it was pretty much 99% white. And it was like, you know, my exposure to the SMA community, I thought was, I thought it was very connected to the SMA community, but I was only connected to the white American population when it's particularly in an age of social media and, um, you know, working for bio news and getting to connect with people all across the globe. That's where I realized like, no, we're bare I've barely tapped into any like only a really small percentage of the SMA community because the SMA SMA is not uh, exclusively affects white people, it's very much a global thing. And that's been, you know, um it I'm glad to see that conferences are starting to become more diverse, but it's also we have a ways to go before. Um, that becomes like, uh, you know, is I don't even want to say like sufficient is the word, but, uh, but, you know, it, it, I mean, actually seeing a more thorough and, you know, um, intersectional uh, population of the SMA community there. And so that kind of leads to my next question is, you know, so you mentioned that you've both been to conferences and you have connections through social media. So what are, and be honest here, what are some ways that the SMA community can be more inclusive and get away from this idea of that, you know, a, a disability is, you know, predominantly white.
3: Well, I, I, I think one of the first things is showing up in the areas where people are. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, it's interesting because, I, of course I grew up during a time of Telethon, where we had yeah. the, you know, the Muscular Dystrophy Association Telethon, Jerry Lewis Labor Day Telethon. And when I was first diagnosed, um you know it was just muscular dystrophy they didn't know exactly uh which neuromuscular disease it was it was just muscular dystrophy and the thing that my mother said when single teenage mom she was like we don't get that that's for little white kids because that's all she ever saw purported on television because all she ever knew about it was the jerry lewis labor day telethon and then of course i come along and Uh, There goes that theory. Just blew that all out the water, you know, in terms of her experience. But I think what the SMA community can do is be intentional about reaching into the community itself, not with the preconceived ideas of we understand SMA. You may understand SMA, but you don't understand SMA from this community's perspective. And just being open in that, just being open and honest in that, showing up and being willing to learn and being willing to extend and being willing to say, hey, okay, we kind of missed the mark here. Let's figure out how we can, how we can write this, how we can write this boat, how we can write this ship. And so I think that's the first thing is to, to, to be willing to have the conversation, to be willing to be open about it and honest about it. Um, and, and 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 because here's the thing. You can say, come on in all you want, but until I know you really care. Until I know that there is that there is a genuine that there is a genuine intention of being inclusive until I'm really trying to create an atmosphere of belonging it's just going to be come on in you know um so i I think that there has to be a concerted effort and you do that by connecting with the people in those communities We're out there we're out there, but we have to be intentional about that.
0: I love that. That's great. Uh-huh. Gabrielle, is there anything you want to add to that, either from your own experiences or any ideas you have?
2: Um, I think Lamandre said it perfectly. It's just being willing to openly listen to um, the Black community of SMA individuals. And I think what you're doing here with this podcast is a great start. Um, just asking about our experiences because our experiences are not the same as yours. So our experience with mm-hmm. SMA is completely different although there may be some similarities um there's also differences so i think what you're doing now is a great start and just openly listening like you said absolutely
3: and and, you know and 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 i'll tell you kevin just piggybacking off of what gabrielle just said I, i i it's people like you it's people like you who are willing to share this platform and even acknowledge that there is a difference because a lot of times people say, well, everybody's equal. And the truth is there's a difference between equality and equity. There, yeah. there, 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 there's a difference between that. And and for some reason, for some reason, we think that if you just treat everybody the same, that you can approach everybody the same. And it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. So I, I, I applaud you uh, for the bravery uh, that 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 you're exhibiting by even saying, hey, let's have this conversation. Let's talk about this because I really do believe it starts with the conversation. So thank you, man.
0: Oh man, happy to know. And like, I mean, um, and it's really just like, your stories like blow me away. And I really just wanna, um, you know, I love meeting people like you, like it, that's what I love of that the community is growing because I am, you know, getting outside my own little world and, meetings of people whose experiences are totally different from mine. And it's really cool to see. Um, but, um, but no, absolutely. And um, I got it all too. So you both on that note of like, having been to conferences, do you want to talk just about experiences there? Or, um, you know, like, um, a last year was your first and Gabriel, you've been to some um, obviously, this isn't a SMA podcast, but I'm just curious to see like, what your experiences were there at conferences and, um, and how it's changed through social media, meeting other people in the community.
2: Um, The last year I went was 2017. And I think because of like how there wasn't, I was the only black person at that conference basically. Mm-hmm. So how I was treated then kind of affected how I've not been back, which mm-hmm. we weren't having these type of conversations then. So they just, kind of treated differently. I'm not sure if I'm explaining that right. But they weren't having these kind of different race conversations then. And they weren't as open to the black community then. So I was the only um black kid with SMA there. So it kind of felt like they were kind of like parading me around and taking pictures because I was the only black one there. So that kind of affected me going back. But now that they're being open and talking about these different things. Like before I met Leandre, LeMondre, I'm sorry, today. And um, before I met him, he I've never met another black person with SMA before. So I think now that that gateway has been open to talk about race, that I would be willing to come back because when I was there, there was not any talk about race or anything. And there was this kind of, it was different then and i can tell that it's more open and more willing to listen now than it was back then
3: it, it, it definitely is so last year was my first uh, my, my first cure sma conference and um it's still very much white it, it's still very much white let, let let's be clear however however it was definitely more than just me there uh in fact it was interesting because Shaniqua. Um, who I believe you may hear from at some point uh, in this broadcast, she was there, and we met several other people that was there. Now, here's the interesting thing, and th- this is just just, just a little code, uh, Kevin, so you'll know. When we're in a crowd, we look for each other, okay? And when you look for each other, you connect because it feels like home. It feels like a connection, and you feel like, okay, no, this is a safer place for me because it literally boils down to do I feel safe do I feel at home do I feel welcomed and i think sometimes because people have this tendency to think that that oh oh well, no we we opened the door and, and 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 you're a part of us now that that automatically equates to feeling safe and welcome but it doesn't it doesn't and so honestly this year uh, at the SMA conference i did i i, I when i saw How many of us, it was there. Like I said, it was still slim. It was still slim, but it was more than just me. It was more than two. It was more than three. And and we all connected. We all saw each other and we connected. And it did feel like, okay, no, this is an organization that is making strides. That is really trying, trying to open the door, not to just black people in African-Americans, but other ethnicities as well other people from different backgrounds. And the beautiful part is everyone that I saw that showed up, showed up exactly as they were. I didn't get pretense. I didn't get trying to fit in. I came as this is who I am. There was a level of authenticity, which I, I, I have to say that some organizations that I've been a part of, it was all about assimilating to whatever the dominant culture was. I didn't get that. I didn't get that at all this time. And it was, it was really good to see. So yes, as you said, Kevin, we've got a ton of work to do, but I believe that having these kinds of conversations will indeed help us get there. And I
0: believe it's making a difference. I love that. And well, and I love what you said too, about the whole, there's a difference between saying, Oh, come on in we're Iron's welcome and actually making inclusive and. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, that's something I was ignorant of for a long time, and I'm still, you know, learning what that looks like. And so I mean, because I think a parallel to that is saying, you know, we've all all of us have been the only wheelchair user in any in number of environments. And when they say, like, come on in, but then we're the only one there. And, you know, there's a major inaccessibility um at a building or something like that. It's like, oh, are we actually welcome? You know, I mean, so it's, um, I think we've all had those experiences. And, Um, and yeah, uh, so I, I really love those ideas. I think that's, yeah, that's something I hope more organizations will listen to and, you know, make it a priority to be genuinely inclusive and accessible for all. Absolutely. Oh, that. Well, um, I, I mean, yeah, LaMange, Gabriel, this has been such a great conversation. I really appreciate all of your ideas. I just to close off here. Are there, so Gabriel, you mentioned your friend earlier. Are there any other kind of like black disability advocates you want to just give a shout out to um while we're here, either through social media or in the media? Anything like that you can anyone you can think of that you want to like, hey, go follow this person.
2: Um, definitely Neela Morton, who I mentioned earlier. And also Lauren Lolo Spencer, she's in, she's an actress. She's in um HBO Max's. I believe it's called The Sex slice of College Girls. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah,
0: absolutely. She's great.
2: She openly talks about muscular dystrophy and her um, journey with her disability. So I think she's a great person to follow as well.
0: That's a really good... I discovered her YouTube channel not too long ago. It's really cool. Yeah. And then LaMondre, do you have anyone? Either, like, it can be entertainers or something. I don't know. You just, you know- anyone you can think of.
3: Honestly, my, my my thinking is 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 connect with the people that, that, that connect with you. And and, and what mm. I mean by that is yes, look for people with disabilities, look for black people, yes, absolutely. But make sure it's people that speak to your soul. Make sure mm. it's people that that, that 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 you gain something from, whether it be inspiration, whether it be whatever it is, connect with those people. because here's the thing. We have this tendency to put people on pedestals. We have this tendency to kind of, of 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 amplify who they are. When the truth is, we need to look within. We need to see what is about us that we can put out there. And so my thinking, first of all, is whoever you choose to follow, whoever you choose to look at to gain inspiration from, make certain it's something that feeds you. Make something that it, it make sure that it's something that edifies, that it builds you up. Because ultimately, at the end of this you need to be the hero of your own story you need to be your own dare i say savior in this in in this work okay um so so that that's that's it man just just um look inward look inward and, and just realize that you've got something amazing to offer the world and the world needs you the world needs you the world doesn't need you watering down your disability or does not need you bigging up your disability. But what the world needs is you being authentically who you are, and bringing that to the table. And if you do that, listen, this will be a much happier place, a much happier place.
0: I love it. I think that's a perfect quote to end on. So we'll just uh, that is perfect. But um, but oh, Lamont Gabriel, Gabrielle, I want to thank you both so much for coming on today. Um, this has been fantastic conversation. And I always enjoy talking with y'all. So um, we'll put links to um, websites and everything in the description. But real quick, you want to plug uh, your social media profiles, or you know, it's where people can find you?
2: Um, you can follow me on Instagram at that's a gab That's G A B period D A V E T T A, and on TikTok as Gabrielle Runyon, which is just my name.
3: Gotcha. All right, you can uh, follow me on Instagram at Lamondre underscore P. That's L A M O N D R E underscore P. Or you can catch me on TikTok, Facebook, uh, at Lamondre Pew, which is just my name, Lamondre P O U G H. And uh, Twitter, if, we, if we're still doing Twitter, uh, Lamondre underscore P, uh, there as well. And you can also uh, check us out uh, once we actually launch the podcast. Uh, the website for the podcast will be my big, well, it's actually my BFA life, my BFA life, my big, full, authentic life.com, BFA.com.
0: I love it. Oh, I'll definitely be subscribing as soon as that launches. And Yeah. Awesome. Well, Manje, Gabrielle, thank you so much again. Um, and for our listeners out there, you can hear more stories and conversations like this By subscribing to the SMA News Today podcast, you can connect with us directly in our forums and follow smanewstoday.com for all the latest SMA news and perspectives. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Take care.
1: The information in our flash briefings and podcasts are provided for informational and educational purposes only. Be sure to tune in daily to SMA News Today for the latest news and perspectives regarding the disease. Discover more content that might be of interest to you at www.smanewstoday.com and be sure to follow us on social media and join our SMA News Today forums, a trusted SMA community ready to welcome you anytime.